Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. You guys knew we couldn't do a mailbag in only one part. I think it's literally never happened. So we are back with more of your questions. Alex, what are we getting into today? We're going to talk about Donovan Mitchell as a potential top option for the Knicks, should he come over, and if his off nights could actually be kind of scary. Uh, we're going to talk about Derrick Rose and his future with the Knicks and you know what's to come with him. And then we'll talk about a couple big names that might be available in free agency. It's kind of been assumed that they wouldn't, but who knows? So we'll talk about the viability of two big names of free agency this coming offseason next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Starts without a You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. We wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. So if you're not seeing our, our beautiful smiling faces on a daily basis, I don't know what you're doing. You're missing out on half the experience. Uh, please go check us out. We recently had the legend uh, CP, the franchise of Knicks Fan TV on to talk about some Julius Randle mock trades to review Julius Randle's season. Um, so if you missed that episode, if specifically if you missed it on YouTube, because you're not getting the full CP experience over audio, uh, you should go check that out. But I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. It's officially lacrosse season. So if you're a big lacrosse guy, we have some of the best lacrosse in the country here in New York. So go check that out on Varsity Media. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief. A little bit more relevant of the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world, the Strickland. Uh, check out all the writing on the Strickland. Check out the Strickland Podcast Network. They do great work as well. And once again, this is Locked on Knicks. And we're continuing with your questions. The first one, we talked about Donovan Mitchell a little bit in our first show. We are continuing the theme in this second show. The question comes from Mark at Far Off Mark, who I feel like always asks questions for these. So shout out to you, Mark. Um, and he said, is it fair to say that Donovan Mitchell's bad shooting nights are worse than RJ's, even though his total efficiency is far better? Do we will, do we really want such a volatile first option to pair with our young core? I don't know, Alex, do we? I mean, it, I, it doesn't bother me too much, if I'm being honest. You know, I guess your hope would be if you're able to trade for Mitchell that you can hold on to RJ in that scenario. I imagine you're probably, unfortunately, having to part with quickly, maybe a couple of the other young guys, you know, plus some picks, you know, all that good stuff to make all, you know, to make everything work. And then, you know, salary, you need to include like Fournier and, you know, whatever other guys. So, I mean, there, there would have to be, um, you know, some of the the current core going out. But ideally, I think you would want to pair him with R.J. Barrett. And if you could manage to pull that off, I think the the belief there would be that their off nights would hopefully offset one another um, and that, you know, they would have the the sort of humility to understand when one or the other doesn't have it any given night and, you know, sort of defer to the other. And, you know, Mitchell seems like he's got a pretty good handle on that. 
Uh, and I think that if he had another, you know, top scoring option like an RJ Barrett, they could, you know, take that burden off of him that he would defer to RJ on any given night. Just like I think if RJ was having kind of an off day, that he would defer to Mitchell. Um, so I think that's my overall answer here. I mean, it doesn't bother me. I mean, you're talking about a dude that's like a 25, what, 25? What is, what is he averaging this year? 25? Yeah, uh, yeah, he's at 26 five assists and four rebounds a game this year. Yeah. I mean, he offers you a lot more than just scoring too. That's the other thing. Like he's a five assist guy as a, as a shooting guard, you know, that that's pretty good, you know, so he's definitely moving the ball. He's definitely getting teammates involved and stuff like that, you know? And I, I just think, you know, everybody has off nights, but as long as uh, Mitchell has shown pretty consistently that, you know, he produces when you need him to produce, like he's been a really good playoff performer thus far in his career. Um, you know, and obviously in the bubble put up like that, like legendary series and everything else. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that he's, he's definitely like nothing would scare me with him. Let's put it that way. It's not, it's not anything that would hold me back from trading for him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you're, you're picking nits at that point, right? Because outside of, uh, Carmelo Anthony, the Knicks have not had a Donovan Mitchell type talent since Patrick Ewing. So that's like baseline to me sort of wipes away any concerns that guy's available even at a significant price you you, you go and get him and you, you can't really it's like sort of the same conversation that we have about zion williamson where people are like well like the injury risk is significant and like yeah it is like yeah like there's a little bit of a queasiness to paying him however many hundreds of millions of dollars but you can't you gotta you gotta take a risk at some point right you gotta you gotta bet on someone and to me donovan mitchell is very high on the list of potential guys the Knicks should be betting on. I think I understand where the question's coming from. I mean, one, he's, he's, he was coming off, I think, literally like his worst shooting game. Is, what was he, five for 24 the other night? Like his one of the worst shooting games of his career um, the other night. And I do think, unless you're talking about like a Chris Paul or Steve Nash, two guys who I think are up there and just flat out the most talented shooters of all time, if you're building your offense around a smaller guard, they're inevitably going to have off nights, right? Because they're just not near the basket all that often. Um, I mean, and Mitchell is more so than a lot of these guys, but um, just the degree of difficulty that they're operating in when you're talking about someone who's 6'3 and the fulcrum of an offense, like that, that's hard to do. So I think it's sort of baked into the package. But Mitchell, such a talented shooter, and and to the point on efficiency, this is the first year of his career who shot better than 43.5%. He's at 45% from the field, right around 35% from three. Like if, if that's your high-volume guy scoring 26 points per game and brings you some stuff as a playmaker – uh, count me in on that, dude. I, I think there are fair questions. I mean, the whole thing with him and Rudy Gobert is so weird. I mean, that just seems like kind of like a one-on-one -on -one dynamic. And I do worry that at points he, he kind of hijacks the offense. Like you'll see possessions where he just dribbles the air out of the ball for 15, 16 seconds and then takes a pull-up three. I think with the right teammates in the right system, he's not. he doesn't strike me as an inherently selfish player. I think he's someone who could move the ball and is exceptionally smart. And I think... I think with the right team in the right context, he would do really well. And a lot of times Utah is that team in that context. And you see flashes of brilliance from him as a passer. So yeah, I've, I've, I've no doubts about Donovan Mitchell. Um, but Alex, I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that or should we, you want to wrap up the segment on another question? Yeah, let's, let's move to our second question. Um, although it's a good question. It's a fair one to ask, but I just think, I think ultimately, yeah, like you said, it's sort of picking nits at that point. Like, there's nothing really to hold you back from trading for a Donovan Mitchell if that opportunity presents itself. Uh, but our next question comes from Rella1K at Rella1K on Twitter. At what point did you realize the Knicks weren't going to make the playoff or play in? Uh, November 17th was the day for me. It was all good 10 months ago. Um, 
Uh, I'm going to say the real point for me, I mean, to say knowing that they weren't even going to make the play in, I mean, that that's more extreme than saying the playoffs. Like, I knew that they weren't going to meet our lofty expectations fairly early. The point that I felt pretty sure that they were not even going to necessarily make the play in, even as, like, the 10 seed, or that they'd have to, like, really work to sneak into that was when we kept talking about that stretch, like, right around the All-Star break um, or, like, right around the 40-game mark, you know, like the halfway point of the season where it was like, all right, they're only like 500 right now, and they really needed to be better than 500. Um, and the schedule coming up is really, really brutal. So there was like that one last stretch that led them through about game, I don't know, 50-ish. I forget exactly what what teams it were that it was that they were facing, but like they had that one stretch where it was like the last somewhat easy stretch of the season, and we were like, they basically need to like win out on this stretch like before they hit this really hard stretch and have like a nice like six, seven game cushion when they came out of that stretch still at about 500, I kind of saw the writing on the wall, like the schedule was going to get way harder and then go figure. They did have that losing 17 out of 20 stretch. Uh, and that was sort of like the, the final nail in the coffin, I think. Uh, but that was, that was about the time that I realized that the Knicks weren't going anywhere this year, but what about you, Gavin? Yeah, I'd say the, the string of, um, well, immediately after the five and one start, you knew, you knew things weren't right. Right. Like Randall was just clearly not the same dude from an efficiency perspective. RJ was, I mean, it, it feels like a long time ago now, but he was playing terribly. And I was, I think to me, that was almost the most painful part of the early season. It was like, I really expected this dude to make a leap and he just didn't. Um, and in retrospect, obviously he was dealing with some stomach issues apparently. And, and, and just dealing with the fact that Kemba Walker wanted the offense, Julius Randall on the offense, Evan Fournier was trying to find his rhythm, too many cooks in the kitchen, um, but at that point, I was like, all right, this this could go kind of bad. Um, but the point I knew they weren't going to make the play in, which just because it's so all you have to do is be the 10 seed, like it's pretty easy to make the play in, um, was when they started blowing uh, 20 point leads um, three out of five games. Uh, that was like, all right, this team is it's it's just no matter what, if Tibbs plays Alec Burks 70 minutes a game, it's probably not going to happen. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't betting on the Knicks at that point, but. If you want to make a different kind of bet, you can go to Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championships, odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And they also, because baseball season is getting started, they have MLB future odds. Alex, I'll I'll toss this over to you. I know, I know, I know you love your Mets. Uh, are you are you betting on them? Are, are you going crosstown and maybe betting on the Yankees, surprising some people, or, or a different team completely? You, you do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I definitely do not feel super confident about betting on the Mets right now. They're at a plus two hundred to win the NL East. If you asked me three weeks ago, I would have said buy, 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 get it, bet that, bet that, you know, hammer that one and and do it. Now, uh, Jacob deGrom out for just a couple months, and uh, Max Scherzer now apparently dealing with some sort of uh, uh, nebulous injury concerns. Uh, no thank you. I'm not betting the Mets. The Mets are cursed. They are always cursed. They had their best offseason in probably like a decade, and I still can't bet them plus 200. So I don't know. I don't know how you feel about the Yankees, but I'm not betting the Mets, unfortunately. And I don't know who to bet because the NL East is always just – topsy-turvy so I, I have no idea who to bet there 
Yeah, I had no idea Max Scherzer was on the Mets, so I'm not going to give anyone any betting advice outside of uh, I'm, I'm not 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 a fan of the Yankees offseason. But head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Let's keep it rolling on this mailbag. A question from uh, my guy, uh, Adrian uh, Chatham. I want to say, Adrian, let me know if I'm getting your last name wrong. I I, I referenced him before, but actually, I met Adrian uh, watching uh, the new Batman movie. I was sitting right next to me, so that was uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, fantastic dude! Uh, shout out to Adrian and, sh- and shout out to him for for this great question. Um, he wants to know with quickly developing and the team probably pursuing a point guard over the offseason, The elephant in the room is what happens to Derrick Rose. Seems everyone figures he'll want to go to a team in the playoff picture. What do you think will happen? Does he stay and fortify the second unit, or do we try to trade him? Alex, I think that's a great question, and I'm I'm kind of perplexed by it. What what do the Knicks do with Derrick Rose? I think basically what will happen with Rose is they'll – I feel pretty confident they'll keep him going into next season. I think, I think he's really shown himself, regardless of the situation, to enjoy – being sort of a mentor at this stage in his career. Um, he seems to really relish his relationship with quickly. Um, he obviously has had a great effect on Obi Toppin, you know, with, with helping unlock the best parts of Obi Toppin's game. You know, I think the Knicks will look at that and they'll say, especially if they're giving Tibbs a vote of confidence to come back another year. I mean, Rose has made it pretty clear that he loves Tibbs. Tibbs loves Rose as well. Also, Rose is like one of the only veteran players who Tibbs has sort of been respectful to in terms of like minutes load and stuff. Um, even when Kemba was playing, it was like <laughs> Tibbs didn't really have any concerns for Kemba's like knees or whatever. Any given night, uh, he would play him however many minutes it took. But Rose was pretty consistently outside of like last year's like playoffs and like right down the stretch of last year's season. Uh, this year he was he was pretty consistently only playing him like a max of like twenty to twenty five minutes to you know, preserve his knees and everything. And in, in the case of this year's ankle, which still went bad anyway at a certain point. Um, but I think that's, you know, I think as long as the Knicks are keeping Tibbs and then let's say if the Knicks underwhelm to start next year, Tibbs gets fired by before the trade deadline or something. Um, then I would entertain, you know, if Rose is having a good season, I would entertain trading him. But I, I think that Rose would be okay. You know, I actually don't think the Rose will care too much about playing for a contender or whatever. It just doesn't seem that, important to him. I feel like comfort is more important to him. And like Tibbs is his comfort zone as a coach. He seems to really like his teammates and stuff. I, I think he'd be okay just sticking around. Obviously if he asked for a trade, I'd honor it, but I think, I think he'd be okay sticking around. I think the Knicks will be more than okay keeping him around for now. Cause he's a good veteran. That's, you know, very friendly with the young players. I, I think he ends up sticking with the Knicks at least through the start of next year. I don't think he gets moved in the off season. Only way I see him getting moved is if he has like, you know, if, if the Knicks get real value for him at the trade deadline next year and aren't really going anywhere, and especially if they don't have Tibbs anymore, then I can maybe see him being moved by then. But that even that, I wouldn't call a short thing. Yeah, Alex, I'm, I'm of two minds of it, right? He's, look, Derek Rose is 33 years old at this point. He just missed an, essentially a full season of basketball. He's had a million different injuries. And we know with him, like, if he loses just a little bit more of that signature explosiveness, like, all of a sudden you can go from a guy who was a hyper-efficient player for the Knicks the last season and a quarter to one who struggles to score the basketball. And at that point, 
Um, even even with the veteran leadership he has, even with like everything he brings off the court, um, I'd question if he's a rotation piece for the Knicks when you want to prioritize Emmanuel quickly, when you want to prioritize Deuce McBride. The flip side of that is the Knicks bench unit picked off or, or continued off essentially where they left off last season as the best group in the league to start this season. If we remember, the starters that we were so hyped about were a, one of the worst lineups in the NBA. And the Knicks bench unit, when Derrick Rose was playing, was basically the best lineup in all of basketball. So it's clear that, again, if there's not some significant drop-off, and that, that's that's a mystery that none of us can answer until we see him on the court again, um, he can really, really, really impact winning. And I think the year that Emmanuel quickly got to find his own game and and, and to improve his confidence and Obi Toppin um, developing so much more diversity to his offensive attack, those guys playing together, I mean, it, it could be dynamite a year from now and, like, and just even harder to stop than it already was. We know there's just such a high chemistry level. We know Rose makes life so much easier for those two. So for that reason alone, I think I'd lean towards keeping Rose. And I think to your point, as long as Tom Thibodeau is here, Derek Rose will be here. And it's just, it's not much more complicated than that. Yeah, I'm with you. And uh, I think we probably move to our next question here. This comes from RJ Barrett Defense Brigade at Barrett Brigade 9. Thoughts on Dyson Daniels as a potential draft prospect? Uh, and I don't know if to say he will probably be in the Knicks range or will he probably be in the Knicks range? But either way, um, Gavin, my thoughts on him just briefly, I mean, I've only done a little bit of research into, into Daniels so far. He's playing for the G League Ignite. He's from Australia. Um, I don't know what it is about Australia and producing like super huge guards that do all the things that I like, but he seems like a very Alex type prospect, just like Josh Giddy was last year. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very intrigued by him and I'm starting to do a little more homework on him. Uh, whether he'll be in the Knicks range is an interesting question because suddenly lately I've been seeing him fly up draft boards. I mean, he's, he's gone from, you know, a, a probable, you know, late lottery to potentially end of first round guy that I was seeing a mocks to now suddenly really leaping up. You know, I guess now that people are sort of putting two and two together, like, Oh, like tall guard with, you know, really good guard skills, you know, that's like six, he's, he's like six, eight, I think he's very six, tall. Eight, yeah. Um, you know, so guys like that are very valuable in today's NBA as we've seen with guys like LaMelo ball, Josh Giddy, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, I'm about it. You know, I, I think you've done a little more looking into him than I have at this point, but based off the small amount of research that I've done, he's very much as a, as our friend Prez would say with Prez bait, he's very much Alex bait. Um, you know, he's, he's a, a guy that profiles as a type prospect that I would love to add pretty much anytime. Uh, so I'm about it if he's available in the next range, but that's a question because he might have a meteoric rise like Josh Giddy did last year where he went from being mocked in that same range, that like mid first round ish wasteland to all of a sudden hopping up to the number six pick in the draft. You might see the same thing happen with, with Daniels this year, but if he's available in the next range, he's definitely a guy I'd be looking at potentially drafting. Yeah. My gut instinct is he, he's not going to be available in the next pick. I, and, and if the Knicks, because the Knicks are right, they're either at 12, 13th, 14th, four, three, two, one. If the Knicks jump up they're they're going to be taking one of like Ivy Bancaro, um, Holgrim, Holgren, sorry, um, and uh, Jabari Smith, right? Like, and and if they stay, I have a feeling he ends up going between 
five and 10. Like to your point, it's just, just too dynamic at that size. It seems like the jumper is coming along a little bit. I, th- I think he just had like a, a, jo- a massive triple double the other week. He just seems like a dude to me that is only going to go up in, in terms of the draft process. Like maybe he's some poor shooting workouts and maybe that makes people question things, but I, I have a feeling he's the type of guy like the Knicks are going to have to like throw in a Deuce McBride to move up five spots if they want to go and get him. And, and that would take the right team and the right situation. But I would be super duper intrigued by his fit in New York. It's similar to what I referenced in the last mailbag. Um, obviously, he doesn't have this reputation as a defender yet, but almost analogous to going getting someone like Jonathan Isaac, where if you just want to build this horde of big wings around RJ and you want to play Grimes, Reddish, whether, whether it's a Daniels, whether it's an Isaac, whether it ends up being obviously Obi Toppins in a different category, but I love the idea of that kind of lineup. I think that's the direction of where the NBA is going. And Daniels gives you the added benefit of having a little extra playmaking juice. And I, I, lo- I love the idea of him RJ and quickly all on the floor at the same time. I think that would be really scary, really interesting. And this Knicks team that has already shown flashes of just very cohesive, like group playmaking, like almost, I hesitate to say it, but almost Spurs-esque. And on a team that doesn't have a lot of athleticism, I I think you almost need that to compensate to some extent. I I just, I love his fit in New York. I just have a feeling he's not going to be there when the Knicks pick. Yeah, I'm with you, Gavin. I, 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 it just reads like the Giddy situation all over again to me. You know, yeah. I had myself talked into Giddy potentially being available for the Knicks last year, um, you know, at like the 20th pick or whatever the uh, the Knicks had, uh, 18th, whatever it was prior to, you know, all the all the movement and everything. And it just never happened. You know, he was he just rose too fast because the just that that archetype of player, you know, a guy who's that tall that can do that many things with the ball. And as, as you said, you know, some playmaking to him as well. Just he's, he's not going to fall very far. He's going to shoot up boards as soon as he starts getting in workouts and stuff. If he's shooting well, you know, in workouts and if he crushes it in like some scrimmages and stuff, like forget about it. He, and his measurements too are going to come out great if he does the combine. So he's, he's going to be too high for the Knicks. We can move to our next question here, I think. And this comes from Jake Andrews at NY Critics on Twitter. And Jake wants to know, I know it's all trades and draft now, but I want to skip ahead to free agency. Do you think there's a shot at either Zach Levine or Bradley Beal uh, getting free? And could the Knicks make a run at them? Interested in Malik Monk, if you can get him on a fair contract? What exactly is the Knicks cap situation? So I guess I can preface everything with the cap situation. Um, I don't have the numbers like directly in front of me. More or less, the Knicks don't profile to have much, if any, cap space, but I think their avenues to getting cap space are pretty easy. Um, the cap is going to go up a little bit this year. Uh, it's like by a handful of millions of dollars. Um, so that that will help a little bit. That'll give, you know, a little bit of spending flex there. They'll find a way to get rid of Kemba Walker, even if they have to attach a second round pick to him or something. They'll send him somewhere as an expiring contract. Um, Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel are both expiring contracts as well because they're, they're final year player options. Uh, Evan Fournier, I think, would be somewhat easy to move if you really had to. Uh, but the reality is, is that the Knicks would probably be looking at a sign-and-trade scenario of some sort. And, and my guess would be that, you know, like let's say that Beal or Levine says, you know, like like we've seen happen in recent years, like let's say like Kyle Lowry with the Miami Heat, you know, they didn't have the space to sign him outright, so they work out a, a sign-and-trade. Um, because Lowry just said, I only want to go to the Heat. And they accommodated him. If Levine or Beal would say, I only want to go to the Knicks, the Knicks could then say, well, we can pay 
our big treasure trove of second round picks to clear up the space if we have to, you know, Washington or Chicago. But if you want, instead, we can just send those guys your way, like the Evan Fournier, uh, you know, uh, Alec Burks, whoever it is that kind of fits their fancy, plus a couple of second round picks or whatever to, to grease the wheels of this, of this sign and trade rather than us just sending those guys elsewhere with picks attached to them and you guys not getting anything out of the transaction. And I think that those those teams would be accommodating. So that's sort of the the cap situation there. Um, but Gavin, I'll throw it to you as far as the uh, how you feel about Levine and Beal, and then and then also Malik Monk, who I, I think we've both sort of said that we're kind of fans of in the past. But yeah, what do, what do you think about those three names? Yeah, um, Beal. I mean, has really telegraphed his intention to resign in Washington, and over the years, seemingly has like never come in and demanded a trade despite the Wizards' incompetency. It seems like he just loves living in that city. He loves being the face of that franchise, wants to be sort of like a one-team one, one team guy for his career, which you can you can certainly respect. I'm sure the fact that the Wizards can pay him more than anyone else uh, comes into it, though, again, in a sign-and-trade scenario, he could, unless I'm mistaken, he could he can get that max, max, max extension and then still go to another team. Um, but I would... I would assume that Beal is going to stay in Washington. Levine seems overwhelmingly likely to stay in Chicago, um, like given all the improvements that they've made. I, I'm, I'm still a believer that that team, like if Lonzo Ball hadn't gotten hurt and they haven't had all the injuries this year, they would be up there with like maybe still like a notch below the Milwaukee's and the Miami's, but pretty much up there with anyone in the East. I, I was, I bought into them. I think they were really, really, really good. And I think Lonzo getting hurt kind of, killed their season to some extent, but I, I think Levine sees the vision there and, and sees that that team is on an upwards trajectory. The Levine's just the kind of guy you, you sell the farm for, right? Like a hyper-efficient 27, 28-point-per-game scorer. I think people around the league underrated shooting talent to some extent that even if the athleticism declines a bit over the next couple of years, like he's someone I would invest in and not think twice about it. I would honestly feel better about investing in Levine than Beal at this point, which is shocking for me to say because I've always been a big Bradley Beal guy, but I just, I just don't see either of those guys being available. And even if they are, I don't know if the Knicks want to push in like all their assets for either of them. And like either of those teams would, um, it would be, it would be interesting in a side and trade scenario, whether they'd have interest in Julius Randle, because obviously that's the contract. If you're the Knicks, that would make the most sense in that kind of deal versus, um, versus something else. But uh, Monk, I love, always been a huge fan of his game. I just kind of question like him and quickly together in the backcourt is a little bit small. Quickly's length like gives you a little bit of an offsetting factor there. And if you're the Knicks and you have all these big wings that you can play around those guys, maybe it would work out. I, I wouldn't mind the Knicks taking a flyer on him. Um, but I think as long as Evan Fournier is still on the team, if Alec Burks is on the team, there's just too much of a glut at shooting guard to fit Malik Monk in there. Yeah. I'm sort of with you on all three counts. Um, I'll just say on, on Levine, like I agree, he's the guy that out of those two, if if let's say just in theory both would become available, uh, I would definitely go for Levine over Beal. Um, I just think I, I don't know what it is. I, I feel like his his game's going to age better for some reason. He, like you said, even if the athleticism tapers off some, um, something about Levine's game just I feel like he's going to be better long term and would be a better long term investment. Uh, that said, like I mean. I wouldn't say no to Beal if he became available either as a free agent like that. I do think it's just likely that both of them, you know, just take the money though. I mean, I think it would be more uh, defensible if Beal were to leave, you know, Washington because they've been trapped in just mediocrity or being outright bad for so long. And granted, like his health hasn't exactly helped that along. You know, he's he's gotten hurt a number of times and that's sort of, 
derailed things for them. And so did John Wall for years. You know, John Wall got hurt so many times and all that stuff that just kind of killed whatever good thing they had going there. Um, but like, I, I just, I think if Levine was willing to leave the Bulls that quickly, I would have sort of a, I would almost have some character concerns with him at that point. I'd be like, how impatient is he? Like that, you know, this is the first time that the Bulls have made the playoffs, I think, since he's been there. Um, and, you know, so that happens and they had this sort of resurgence and like DeRozan was so good this year for them and, and Vucevic has been good. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, I sort of question, I would question his motivations then, <laughs> uh, leaving that team so quickly. Uh, as far as Monk, I, I'm sort of with you too. I, they would have to move one or both of like Burks and Fournier to make that work. But I do like his game. I think he's been one of the, one of the only bright spots on the Lakers this year who just got eliminated from playoff and playing contention just last night. Um, and might lose 50 games this year, which is insane. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that he's uh, – I, I think he would be a good option, but he's probably going to be looking for somewhat of a payday after putting up so good of a year this year uh, and also taking a big discount to go to the Lakers this year too. So, you know, I wouldn't want to give him a big payday and then have him have to compete with Alec Burks and, and Evan Fournier um, for minutes. And maybe you work out some sort of sign-and-trade deal where you essentially just swap him in for Burks that might be something that I'm interested in. If the Lakers are interested in getting Burks back and Monk says, like, I don't want to come back to this team next year, then maybe they'd be interested in doing that. But, um, yeah, I like all three names. I just don't know how how likely it is, especially for the two-star guys to potentially become available to the Knicks. Um, but, Gavin, we'll move to our, our final question here of this April mailbag. This comes from Jay Harp at Starpula on Twitter. Uh, here's a question that's too dumb to make your show, but I've been dying to send to someone. Well, joke's on you, Jay Harp. We're running it, man. We're, we're answering the question. <laughs> uh, how about keeping Kemba and treating him like a starting pitcher in baseball? He plays 30 minutes every 7 to 10 days and rests his knees in between. He can go balls out in those 20 games he plays and keep the knee fresh each game. Every time he would come back, like he was great at the start and then slowed down. This is brilliant. Uh, in theory, in a vacuum, I don't disagree with this idea, Gavin, that you could have Kemba play like it, like take load management to a, a whole new level in basketball. And essentially, you know, let's even say that they made it play two games and then sit three or something like that the whole season. Maybe it could work. However, I think from a realistic perspective, things are just too far gone with Kemba. Like he's definitely he's not going to come back to the Knicks no matter what. I think it's my basic read on that situation at this point. Yeah, I, I was gonna say like I maybe maybe they could have done it this season, um, but now now the situation's untenable. But but even then, I don't like full fully realistic answer. I think Jay Harp was acknowledging this in the question. Like I just don't think that's feasible in basketball because guys need. To, I mean, we're seeing with Obi Toppin now. Like guys need consistent minutes. They need to get into a rhythm. They need consistent roles. Like if not, you're just gonna have a constantly like uneasy locker room. If it's like if it's RJ's offense and Quickly's offense for three out of five games and two out of five games, Kemba's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm Kemba. Like, and I'm, I'm fully healthy. I'm, I'm the number one guy now. Um, and it would, it would almost work better with like, like, I don't know, like a, the equivalent of like a 36, 37 year old Ray Allen, just like a pure like shooter who you're bringing in in a smaller role and say, Hey, you can only play every two to five games. You can only play 15, 20 minutes, but at least it's someone who doesn't like have like all these cascading effects 
down the rotation. I just, I, I don't think it would really work, but I think, I think we all knew that going into the question. So yep. that's all I got. All right. Well, this has been our April mailbag. So thanks to everybody that submitted questions. You know, as usual, we got enough questions that we had to go two parts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back with more pods. Uh, I think Gavin, we're at full disclosure. Final game of the season. I think. Yeah, we're recording this on Wednesday, but uh, or, or two more games. Sorry, two more games. Yeah, two more games left of the season for next week. So uh, we'll be back next week with our final game recaps of the season, and then you know stick around with us because it's actually going to get a lot more fun once we have to stop, once we get to stop covering games all the time. So thank you all for rocking with us this season. I'm sure we'll be giving out more thanks next week as well, but. Uh, We'll be back next week. Talk to you guys all soon. Peace out.